from the Brainswell Media Studios, welcome to Ad Sales Nation with your host, Ryan Dorn. Each month, Ryan digs deep on the issues and challenges facing media salespeople like you every day. Ryan is a 28-year media veteran, an Emmy winner, a sales coach, and he still sells media every day just like you. Now, your host, your coach, your fellow media sales warrior, Ryan Dorn. You found it. If you sell media every day just like me, if you sell advertising, you are a member of the Ad Sales Nation. You're a citizen, bona fide, every day just like you. I sell media, and man, it is challenging out there, but we've got some thoughtful and uh, great advice for you today. We're going to be talking about overcoming the five most common media sales objections. Going to give you some thoughts on that. Uh, Shannon McBride from January Spring is going to stop by. I've got a question for her about geofencing. I mean, I know what it is. I just wonder how we can implement that uh, a little more effectively for some of our advertisers. And of course, uh, the favorite part of the program is listener questions. So Riley from San Diego, you're up on the show. Lori from Des Moines, your question. Good question, Lori. David from New Jersey, you sent in a good question, my friend. A little concerned your boss might get mad if they listen to the podcast. So we're just going to say David from New Jersey and not give a whole lot more information. So stick around uh, for that. As I always say, I'd be a terrible sales trainer and sales coach if I didn't have some sponsors to thank for making this podcast free and available to you on Amazon and iTunes and Spotify and things like that. So if you do want to offer social media management to your advertisers, maybe search uh, engine management or reputation management, January spring out of Denver, they do the heavy lifting and you reap the profits. You can find out more online at JanuarySpring.com. New sponsor to the podcast, Mike, Brad, Kevin, the great guys over at Open Look Business Solutions. Open Look offers media companies like all of you outsourcing solutions to reduce expenses, uh, whether you need data collection, audits, uh, sales, ad layout, design, so much more. Check them out online, open-look.com. The official CRM tool of Brainswell Media and the Ad Sales Nation podcast is the magazine manager and the newspaper manager. Uh, this publishing CRM offers sales, billing, production, marketing, all in one integrated package. Check them out online, magazinemanager.com or newspaper manager.com. Last but not least, our friends over at metropublisher.com. They're the official CMS, content management system of the ad sales nation. So if you're looking to redesign your website and create some great money from your web presence online, check them out at metropublisher.com. All right, friends, let's get into the fun. So we're going to talk about objections. Then we're going to get Shannon uh, on the line and talk about geofencing. Then we're going to answer uh, your listener questions. So let's talk about the four, five, six most common objections that we get in the media business. And this is a really common topic that I'm asked to speak about a lot. And you're going to tell from my, from my answers, um, I sell media every day, uh, just like you. These are the things that uh, I hear in the B2B and the consumer space. So let's walk through these and you know, give me some feedback on this as well. Always feel free to drop me an email, ryan at ryandorn.com, D-O-H-R-N, ryan at ryandorn.com. All right, one of the most common things that I hear, besides I have no budget, we'll get to that in a second, and by the way, we did a podcast uh, on that uh, two months ago in the month of December, so check that out. I oftentimes hear that word of mouth is my best marketing vehicle, or referrals are my best marketing vehicle. Do you hear that ever? So here's the problem with word of mouth and referral business. 
The problem with word of mouth marketing is that you, Mr. or Mrs. Advertiser, you lose control of your marketing message. You, Mr. or Mrs. Advertiser, you are relying on untrained individuals to take your marketing message to the world. And that can be problematic at best. Here's the other thing about word of mouth and referral-based marketing. The problem is that it is solely based on your ability, Mr. or Mrs. Advertiser, your ability to control 100% customer satisfaction. If people leave your business unsatisfied, if they have a bad experience with your company, your service, your software, whatever it is, at any point in time that you lose control of customer satisfaction, then word of mouth and referral-based marketing will actually work against you. So let me give you an example. Maybe this has happened to you. You go to a restaurant. The food is fine. The service is fine. You're not unhappy, but you're not totally satisfied, meaning that the steak was fine, the wine was fine, the service was fine. You're probably not going to go online and bash this restaurant, but you're probably not going to recommend it to any of your friends. Sometimes the manager will come by to the table and say, hey, how was your meal? Now, if you're, <laughs> if you're like me, I, they asked, so I'm going to tell them. Most people don't. Most people just say, it, it was fine. Thank you very much. And the manager will then move on to the next table. Let me give you an example of maybe a software company. Say you bought a piece of software. You've installed it on your computer. It's giving you problems. It's, it, it works, but it doesn't work. You're just not terribly satisfied with it, but, but it's, it's fine. Even if they send you a customer service survey, you're not going to go through the process of filling it out and complaining. It's just too much hassle. You just probably won't recommend them to somebody else. Now, most advertisers of ours would say, oh, we always have customer satisfaction. That's first and foremost to us. I understand the initiative. The problem is customers are only as loyal as their last customer service experience or the last time you messed with the price. So because of that, I think it's important for all of us to recognize that because of social media, when someone doesn't have a good experience with your customer service, they don't have a good experience with price, with your product, with the experience in your store or whatever, they tend to go online. And when they go online, they tend to get hateful behind that keyboard. So bad customer experiences really can hinder word of mouth and referral-based marketing. So I like to walk my advertisers through that scenario. I'll say, you know, I respect that referral-based business and word of mouth marketing is important to you. So what else are you doing in the marketplace to be able to counteract when someone has a bad experience and they go online to potentially bash you? The other thing with word of mouth and referral-based marketing is that, I mean, it's slow. I mean, it's, it's a slow process. So I would ask you to consider that and come up with a good conversation piece as it relates to talking to your advertisers. All right, second objection I hear a lot. I'm not seeing return on investment from my advertising. Now, those of you that are listening to the podcast, some of you sell TV, 
Some sell radio, some sell magazines, some sell newspapers. We're probably hearing similar things. Now, whether you're a consumer magazine or a business-to-business magazine or TV or radio, we all have different variables. When someone says, I'm not seeing ROI from my advertising, I want to drill into that a little bit deeper. My first response is, what were you expecting? What were your expectations from this advertising campaign? Now, I would actually suggest to you from a coaching and training perspective, probably that's a question you should have asked during the sales call before the campaign began. But sometimes an advertiser will change their mind about what their expectations are. So what I might do is I might ask that question during the sales call. Then, in case it's, and I'll make note of it, in case it's changed at the time the advertiser says, I'm not getting ROI, I would go back to my notes that I've put into my CRM tool, and I would say to them, well, when we first met, you said you wanted to sell 50 things, or you wanted 100 leads, or whatever. Did something change? No, it didn't. Or yes, it did. And walk them through this. What were your expectations? Then I want to be listening, though, carefully for signals that the advertiser that might be selling a product or a service that's quite expensive, I'm looking for direct response language or direct response triggers. So sometimes people are selling products or services that are more expensive than a direct response advertising will allow. So let's start from the beginning on this. What's a direct response ad? A direct response ad is, buy now, $19.99, three payments of $29.95, the Ginsu knife or knife or whatever. Those are direct response ads. A lot of times I'm working with an advertiser that's selling a product or service that's expensive. Maybe it's $200, $300, or maybe it's $5,000. Those type of advertisers are transactional in their mind, but the product is not transactional, meaning the product requires branding, requires consideration, and requires research. So when someone says to me they're not getting return on investment from their advertising, what were your expectations? And then be listening if they are trying to force a direct response on a product that's not priced to be a direct response product. So I want to drill into that with them just a little bit more. Next, I want to find out, were their expectations realistic compared to what they spent on the ad? So if they spent $500 with us and they wanted $500,000 in return, their expectations are unrealistic and we want to walk them potentially through that. The last piece on this objection that I like to drill down into is the value of one of their customers. If you were to bring to them one customer, what's the initial value and what's the lifetime value of that customer? Let me give you an example. Let's just say, uh, let's give it a consumer example, a hair salon. If you bring in one customer, maybe that's worth 100 bucks. But over the entire year, that person's worth $800. Let me give you a B2B example. 
let's just say that you're a software company, your advertiser is a software company, and when they bring in one client, it could potentially be worth eight to 10 licenses of that software. So one client could be worth, say, $300 times three or whatever the circumstance is. I like to figure out what is the value of them acquiring one new customer because of their advertising with us. Now, before a bunch of you send me a bunch of email about this, certainly these are things that you probably should be talking about on the initial sales call, all right? So, you know, that's, for me, is important to understand. All right, third biggest objection that I hear in the media business, I'm moving all of my ad dollars to social media. It's pretty common. Hey, I'm dropping print, I'm dropping radio, I'm doing everything on social media. Well, a couple things for you to consider. First and foremost, I like to say, cool, all right, what are your plans? What are you doing? And then I want to drill in on a couple of things. Number one, how much time or money are they going to spend managing their social media? I want to drill into that a little bit because a lot of us offer social media services that'll be a lot cheaper than if they spent the time doing it themselves. Remember, there's an article I read on Inc.com. You can check it out. And that article reported that successful marketers will spend 15 to 20 hours per week managing their social media. Successful marketers. Bigger companies, maybe even more. Also, don't forget to explain to your advertisers that social media isn't cheap, especially mismanaged social media. It, it isn't cheap. On January 15th, uh, we talked about this in last month's podcast. On January 15th, Facebook's meaningful interactions change limited inventory on Facebook, thus, in a lot of cases, raising the price. So your advertisers need to pay attention to that. Also, recognize statistically what's happened with social media over the course of the last four to five or six years. In 2013, uh, Typically, a cost per click average was around 92 cents or so in 2013, according to Hockman Consultants, 92 cents. In 2017, the average is around $3.25 a click. So I think it's important to recognize the cost of social media has gone up. The cost per conversion has gone through the roof. In 2013, to convert one clicker to a, to a client was around an average of around $10.50. In 2017, it's as high as $42 to convert somebody from a clicker over to a customer. So when you think about those numbers, it's actually pretty expensive. Social media is actually pretty expensive to market, especially if you don't know what you're doing. So it's important to recognize with a lot of these objections, you need a little data. You need a little practice. I mean, remember, I've said this hundreds of times. Amateurs wing it. Professionals practice. So I think it's really important to walk through that as a sales rep and walk through it as a manager with your team. All right, let's end uh, the objection piece uh, with one of my favorites, and that is I have no budget or my budget is spent for the entire year. Well, we dedicated a podcast to this in December of 2017, so check that out if you want a lot of detail. But in general, when someone says, I have no budget or my budget is spent for the year, my go-to response is, well, tell me about competitor X. 
the name of one of their competitors. So I want to know that in advance. So if someone says, hey, you know what, my budget is allocated for the year. Well, tell me about competitor X, the name of a competitor. What are you doing to outposition them in the marketplace? If you're not spending anything, tell me, what are you doing about them? And that's really one of my go-tos because I want them to understand that their absence is their competitor's opportunity. What about competitor X? Their absence is their competitor's opportunity. Now, I could ask them if, you know, what, what's, what's the harm in me sharing some great ideas with you? Why would you not want to hear about some things to give your competition a run for their, their money? I mean, I can spend a lot of time on this objection. But what I find is when I bring up their competition and I bring up what's happening in the marketplace, that conversation tends to lead to, hey, could I share with you some ideas that I think you can do to really give that competitor a run for their money. Now, if objection handling is something that you're struggling with, there's some games we can play, there's some training we can do as it relates to it. Those are the most common objections uh, that I hear, and so I hope that you find that helpful. But for me, remember something so important. If you want to be good at objection handling, you need to practice those objections. Write them down on an index card. Have somebody quiz you about them. Remember, amateur salespeople, they wing it. Professional salespeople, they practice. Hey, if you've got a topic that you want us to talk about on the podcast, reach out to me, Ryan at RyanDorn.com. Reach out to me, Ryan at RyanDorn.com, and we'll dissect those in some pretty good uh, detail. All right, we're going to talk to Shannon next about uh, geofencing. Then we're going to get to your uh, listener questions. And I just really, once again, really want to thank uh, the fine folks at the magazine manager, the newspaper manager, January Spring. Open Look Business Solutions, Metro Publisher. Without sponsors like this, uh, this podcast uh, just wouldn't happen. It couldn't happen uh, because of all the time commitment that I am uh, out uh, on the road. Also, a big shout out to uh, my friends at D Magazine. We're recording the podcast this month uh, from beautiful Dallas, uh, Texas, uh, 21st floor, downtown Dallas. Great group of folks at uh, D Magazine. Thanks for inviting me in uh, to train your team. All right, friends, as promised, our advertiser tech tip of the month here on Ad Sales Nation, my friend and one of our show sponsors, Shannon McBride from January Spring is here. And Shannon, I I always try to surprise you with some really good uh, questions. And I admit I get asked a lot about geofencing and what it is and how it applies to consumer and the B2B market. So um, because you guys are the experts at this kind of thing, can you explain uh, to the Ad Sales Nation, what is geofencing? I would love to, Ryan, and thanks so much for having us. Geofencing is a term that's used to describe precisely targeting a consumer at a specific location, and that's using Google Maps and latitude and longitude uh, directions that their phone is pinging out. So you can precisely target them um, with programmatic advertising, which are the ads that appear in apps, on your phone, on your iPad, um, when you're playing games, when you're looking at the weather, news, sports. There's also a term that you may have heard before, too, that's really sexy called competitor conquesting. And that's being able to run ads um, on your competitor's location, in addition to just running ads in a specific geography 
or targeting a city block or a building on the block, you can actually target your competitors. Nice. So let's do two, if you don't mind, let's do two scenarios. Let's do a local scenario and then let's do a B2B scenario. So let's say that I am a car dealer and I would like to geofence my competitor. I'm going to geofence my competitor. Is that how that would work? Absolutely. So um, as a car dealer, you know that anybody on your competitor's lot is likely in the market for a car. And you may not be sure where your customers are coming from. Are they coming from the Audi dealership, the Porsche dealership, the Infiniti dealership? So we can geofence each of those competitor lots, just the lots, serve ads to them while they're on the lot, target them for 30 days. And then here's the best part. When they come to your customer's lot, we can track what lot they came from and that they physically visited your dealer. So we can track that last mile conversion, that they physically walked onto the lot. Nice, nice. This is um, moderately creepy, but really awesome, cool. Now, okay, so this, just to be clear, this would be, okay, so I have geofenced my competitor's parking lot, uh, car lot, and I'm the owner of another car dealership. So if they are yep. on the Fox News app, the CNN app, they're on the Google uh, search or whatever, then potentially we can force it so that the ads, my ads, are seen on all of those types of apps and things like that. Correct. Now, not Google. So this is everything but your major search engines. So this is news, weather, sports, entertainment, gaming, anything where you have a little icon downloaded. So this is when somebody leaves Google and they go elsewhere on the Internet. That's where the ad would appear. Okay, cool. All right. So how about a B2B scenario? So let's just say a lot of my B2B clients do events. And so you Uh could geofence a convention center in Baltimore and you would capture data on people that are inside of that geofence. So you could serve them ads during the trade show and for 30 days after the trade show as well. Yes. So we're actually working with a publisher where we are going to be targeting um, competitive shows. So we're going to target people that are attending shows um, that we feel would be good attendees for our customer show. And we can target them for up to 30 days. And then before our show launches, we're going to target the folks that have signed up and really work on trying to get them to show up. And so we can geofence um, their business address. We can geofence a radius around the show, reminding them, hey, this great show's coming to town. And, oh, if you like this show, you'll love our show. So there's a lot of flexibility in being able to do it. Um, and it's limitless in its possibilities. Man, that is so, that is, like I said, it's creepy kind of cool. And so just to be clear with everybody that's um, listening to the Ad Sales Nation podcast, January Spring is is a sponsor of the show and you offer these services uh, to publishers. So if you don't mind, just real briefly explain how that works, uh, Shannon. Yeah, so we work with publishers either to help them um, use these type of products to build their brand, build awareness of their brand, drive show attendance, um, drive engagement, drive subscriptions, or they can also arm their sales reps with these products and have their sales reps take these products to market to create a whole new revenue stream above and beyond their owned and operated uh, product offering. Thanks, Shannon. Some great advice. We sure appreciate it. We'll see you next month. And we've got another great advertising tech topic. Uh, to talk about. All right, let's get to my favorite part of the podcast each month, questions from our listeners. 
And uh, we really appreciate the questions being sent in. Send them into Ryan at RyanDorn.com. My last name is D-O-H-R-N, Ryan at RyanDorn.com. All right, first question coming in from Riley from San Diego. Riley asks, Ryan, my clients keep canceling for no reason. What am I doing wrong? Well, there's two areas, Riley, that I might want you to focus on as your media sales coach. Number one, we talked about it earlier in the podcast, managing client expectations from the get-go. From the very first meeting, I'd like to ask this question. If we created the perfect campaign for you, the perfect marketing campaign, what would you want to see happen from that campaign? If we created the perfect marketing campaign for you, what would you want to see happen from that campaign? And the reason this is important is because great salespeople manage customer expectations from the beginning. Whether you're selling cars, whether you're selling media, whether you're selling software, we always manage their expectations from the get-go. Also, I want to figure out what would one new client mean to them. If we could help them bring in one new client, what would that potentially mean to them? It's all about managing their expectations. Second piece is retention and your retention strategy. What is it? What is your personal sales retention strategy? You need one. It's vividly important to have a retention plan. Let me give you some ideas. What I do is I follow the national non-religious holiday calendar. So I focus on things like Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day, Thanksgiving, Memorial Day, Fourth of July, you know, things like that. National Spaghetti Day or whatever, whatever it is. There's a day of the week for everything, right? Or a month for everything. And what I like to do is send trinkets and gifts and thoughtful notes and emails as it relates to all of those things. I'm a big believer in handwritten thank you notes. I send $5 Starbucks cards. I go to 1-800-Flowers.com. I buy the all uh, shipping pass so I don't have to pay shipping fees all year. I send popcorn to my clients, things like that. Those type of non-sales touch points that really make clients feel great about you, that you actually care about them. Many salespeople are only in sales mode all the time. And I believe that about 30% of your touches with clients should be non-sales related. So, Riley, I'm managing expectations, client retention plan, those two things. I think as your coach, if I put that in place, I think you would see some really good results and maybe reduce uh, some churn. One final thing, don't just sell to everybody. Maybe your clients aren't perfect for your media. And admit when they're not because an angry client or an unhappy client is going to tell more people than a happy client, okay? All right, good question, Riley. All right, Lori from Des Moines, Iowa boy here. Lori, I grew up in Iowa, okay? Um, Lori from Des Moines. Ryan, thanks for the podcast. Love it. Thanks, Lori. I recently lost a huge advertiser, and my numbers have fallen really bad. What should I do? Uh, Lori, really good question. Has happened to all of us in the media sales business. Matter of fact, happened to me a couple weeks ago. So here's what I would consider. I work a plan. I work a prospecting plan that I like to call the 20-60-20 plan. 20-60-20 plan. On my prospect list, 20% of my accounts on my prospect list are what I would consider smaller accounts. 60% of the clients on my prospect list are sort of medium-sized good accounts, but they're not the big ones. They're not the whales. They're big ones. About 60% of 
of the people on my prospect list are those medium-sized accounts. And then about 20% of the people on my prospect list are whales. So I work a 20-60-20 plan. Now, the reason I do this is because I know I need some small clients because they're consistent, but small clients are as big or a bigger pain in the rear as, as larger clients. The majority of my business, though, I focus on is that mid-sized client, those people that are right in the middle. Now, that may mean something different to you than it does to me, but right there in the middle. And then on the big side, the whales, I work about 20% of those. Now, why don't I work 60% whales? It's worth more money, right? Well, from a strategy perspective, I work the 20-60-20 because of what you've just expressed. Because whales are harder to close than everybody else, it takes a lot longer. When you get them, it's like, heck yeah, you're really excited. But keep in mind, when you lose them, it hurts really bad. The middle-sized clients tend to be a little more consistent. They tend to spend a little more consistently. Large clients tend to come and go a little more regularly. And when you lose them, they hurt. So if you prospect on the 20-60-20 rule, What you'll find is that your business becomes 20-60-20 as well, and so you're not as reliant on those big advertisers. So when you get them, it's awesome. If you lose them, it's not, but it won't hurt as much. So think about working that 20-60-20 rule. Now, for those of you that um, have had me come into your office to train your teams, maybe you haven't heard me talk about it like that. I might have called it the minnow, cod, in whales on your prospect list, minnows being small fish, cod being in the middle, the most commonly eaten white fish, whales being really hard to catch. But that's the same type of philosophy. The 20-60-20 rule of prospecting guides you strategically into having a 20-60-20 in your business, and that typically works out better uh, long-term. All right, good question, Lori. Thanks. All right, David from New Jersey. Um, David, I took the name of your town out. (laughs) Because of the question that you asked, I don't want to get you in trouble. Um, David asked this question, Ryan, I am a huge, in all capital letters, fan of texting my clients, texting my clients. My manager, however, has forbidden me from doing this. I'm really mad about this. I'm thinking about quitting. Why can I not text my clients? All right, um, David, a couple of things for you. First and foremost, I don't text people unless I have permission to text them. That's the first thing. So just because someone's cell phone number is on their card, their business card, doesn't mean that I text them. As a matter, if I was coaching you, David, I would say this. Um, Texting to me is a little more intimate, and so I try not to text people unless I've met with them at least once or spoken to them on the phone or I have their permission to text. Now, let me be clear. I'm 45, 46, 45 years old, so I'm not an old guy, um, but I'm not young either, um, but I'm not old either, so I'm kind of right in the middle. Maybe uh, your manager is against this because there's no record of the transaction. That can get to be a little sticky if you don't record uh, in Magazine Manager or your CRM, whatever, if you don't record those notes, maybe that's the problem. And the other piece is I would kind of I'd sit down with the manager and say, I really believe that this is an important part of my total sales process. And tell me, give me some details why you don't want me to do this. I mean, I'm going to bet there's some kind of reason. There's something behind it. 
And so probably it could be maybe the informal nature of texting. Maybe it's no record. Maybe they had a bad experience in the past. I mean, whatever the circumstance is. Now, if they forbid you from doing it, there's something behind it. So dig deep on that. Figure out what it is. And you remember something. I mean, you do need to do what your manager says. Um, So kind of figure that out. I would tell you this. um, I do text with clients. I would say, though, in, in all certainty, sales superstars that I work with, they burn up the phone. Email is their second choice and texting is third. So um, I hate to be the uh, the coach that tells you what maybe you don't want to hear, but that is quite honestly the truth. Media sales superstars I work with burn the phones up first, email is second, uh, texting and some social media is kind of the you know third piece uh, of the puzzle. So, all right, David, thanks so much uh, for your question. I sure appreciate it. Keep your questions coming in. Ryan at RyanDorn.com. Ryan at RyanDorn.com. All right, if you stick around and stay close, the next podcast coming up is going to be talking about closing techniques of media sales superstars. That's next. If you've got a topic that you'd love for us to include uh, here on the Ad Sales Nation podcast, reach out to me, Ryan at RyanDorn.com. If you're brave enough and want to be on the show with me, reach out to me. Love to take your questions uh, live as well. All right, friends, we'll see you next time. Don't forget, If uh, you're looking to do social media management, digital display, search engine, reputation management for your advertisers, reach out to the fine folks at January Spring. JanuarySpring.com. They'll do the heavy lifting and you reap the profit. Our friends over at Open Look Business Solutions, thanks for sponsoring the podcast. Open Look offers media companies like all of you outsourcing solutions to reduce expenses in data collection, audit, sales, ad layout, design, you name it. Check them out online, open-look.com. The official CRM tool of Brainswell Media and the Ad Sales Nation is the magazine manager and the newspaper manager. Thanks to Mark and Andy and Christy and Susan and all the fine folks over there. Greg, these publishings, this publishing CRM offers sales, billing, production, marketing, all in one integrated package. Magazinemanager.com or newspapermanager.com. Looking to redo your website? Visit with the fine folks at metropublisher.com. They're the official content management system of the ad sales nation and sales training world. So if you're looking to build a great revenue-centric website, uh, reach out to Mark and Heiko and Michael and all the great folks over at metropublisher.com. All right, friends, my name is Ryan Dorn. I'm your media sales coach. Love to come to your office and train your teams. Right now, I'm about two months out booking folks and coming to your office. I've got things online. I've got the books online. So check us out over at 360adsales.com, 360adsales.com. All right, friends, that's it for this month. Remember, if ad sales was easy, everybody be doing it, and they're not. So we're either crazy, <laughs> which is possible, or we found a great career that's going to feed our families for a lifetime. All right, friends, God bless. We'll see you out on the streets.